This is Noah and John here again from Urban Digs. We're talking Manhattan. We got Laura Cook. Hey. Laura Cook from Keller Williams. Yes. NYC Midtown. NYC Midtown. I love Laura Cook. And I'm going to talk about her in the third person a little oh, bit. No. Okay. She's just going to pour out insights right now on what she's seeing. And it, it, we're going to have to stop her at some point because it's a 20 minute show. So I'm just warning you right That's now. That's fair. Are you here right now? Are you ready to talk? Oh, I'm here. Okay. All right. Let's do it. What's happening out there? What's going on? It's actually really interesting right now. I am seeing buyers start to come out of the woodwork again, which mm -hmm. is really exciting. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if you've been watching what's been going on with interest rates. They've been studying yep. a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I think it's giving buyers a little bit more confidence. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to see little seedlings, if you will. A little pep in the step? A little pep in the step. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I actually have three listings right now, ironically, all under 500,000. Gotcha. And now granted, that's a very specific segment yeah. of the market. Correct. My open houses are swamped. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I also see what's happening with other people's open houses. It's starting to pick up in other mm -hmm. price points, too. And that's what's going on. A lot of agents are talking to each other, and it, mm -hmm. it definitely feels like the traffic, the buyers are definitely out there, which yeah. is, I mean, again, if we compare it to a couple of other last year this time, was it mm -hmm. like this last year this time? No. Actually, it's funny that you mentioned that. Last year, at least in my business, it mm -hmm. felt a little Death Valley days. Right because I had specific listings that I thought were gonna happen and then the tax reform happened right. and people got spooked. And so I find that when you have sellers or buyers who don't know what's going on, their first reaction is do nothing. Right, I completely agree with that. Uncertainty, buyers uncertainty, yeah. they just back back off. They back off, yeah. yeah. And so things that I expected to happen that had been sort of lined up in my pipeline right. just didn't happen. Right. And so I kind of went, <gasps> Oh, no. I mean, I think it just took a little while for buyers to realize, all right, I'm feeling a little better. The market's in my favor. In my favor, right. Right, it's on sale. We were just with Josh Rubin, he said it's on sale, right? It's a great great mm -hmm. way to put it. Uh, where are you seeing most of your business? What what sectors of the market? Besides, I know the lower end is where your listings are, but right. what on the buy side? On the buy side, it's all over the place. Mm -hmm. I actually just closed a deal in the village okay. um, for around 1.9. Mm -hmm. And what was interesting was that was at the end of last year. Mm -hmm. And so when we were going into contract on that, it, I mean, we got a significant discount. And, and the buyer, what, here was the interesting part. Right. The buyer wasn't afraid to just throw their hat in the ring right. at that point in time because that was really, I mean, you were seeing like an average, depending on the price point, right. of like 16% discounts in certain, from, from right. the beginning asking yeah. price to what was actually close. Right. You, you know, you would see kind of like the, the drops along the way. Right. And so we were in that midpoint where there had been a drop, but there was still nothing really happening. So because the buyer was actually very, well qualified mm -hmm. I just kept pushing that and then I also again I think we you mentioned this on another podcast recently the relationships that you establish with other agents are so important yeah today especially in today's market when, when oh. it was harder to get deals for the last couple of years done um, and you right. actually you have to rely on that Intel that information from your fellow brokers oh yeah. yeah absolutely and what's interesting is watching the buyers that are unrepresented too right because mm -hmm. the people who are coming through open houses that I'm having if they don't have a solid agent who's sort of guiding them, because they've been hearing this narrative, mm -hmm. it's a buy side market, yep. it's a buy side market, because the sellers are starting to already adjust, in my opinion, as long as they're being educated, mm -hmm. the sellers are adjusting, um, but the buyers still think that what the sellers are doing is overinflated. Mm -hmm. And so in certain cases, you're seeing these offers that come from the direct buyers mm -hmm. that are just bonkers. Right, right. Because they're still, I mean, again, and the thing is, is some of them are, are okay with just walking away because yeah, right. they're like, oh, well, you know, it's going to keep going down, keep going down. 
the problem is, is by the time it's gone down, you've missed it. Right. That village buyer, uh, he signed in November, December, right around there? Um, we closed in okay. October. Gotcha. So that that was like the end of the summer when we actually went it, into contract. I mean, it was a good time to buy. I mean, because the forces then, it seemed a little more uh, dull at that point. The forces were a little more negative. It was it, very, yeah. And, and then and the volatility you could, in the stock market at that time. Oh, yeah, right. absolutely. And you could feel it. It was palpable. Right. And, and the fear... On the sell side, right. you know, and you could the listing agents that we were going to, right. they were having to hustle so hard. Right. And I got to give them credit; these agents, all of them, were really, really good about following up with me because right. I had a qualified buyer. Right. And we were in the minority at that point because we were motivated, but we were also not in a hurry. Right. And how was your buyer approaching value during that during that period of time? Were you looking at sold comps that were coming from six months or a year ago, or were you looking at what's on the market? We active? were doing active. Active, 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 because we were comparing, you know, value proposition for each particular building, which yeah. was really interesting. So she was going, okay, well, this one over here is actually telling me that I could make an offer over here mm -hmm. and not be that far off the mark. Right. And so, and again, when we made that offer, there was negotiation going back and forth. The initial offer that we made, I remember feeling like, Ooh, right, is this gonna is this gonna work? Right. Um, and I t I told her, you know, this is this could right. this could work. It could not. Are you okay if if they're not even willing to engage? Yeah. And and the answer was yeah. Let's let's just see how it goes. I mean, I always tell my buyers, or I used to. We don't really transact anymore. But but if if we go in too low and we get a bad reaction, it's gonna be a no reaction. You know, we're gonna get a right. no response. A no response. And I mean, pretty much then you're at the position where you're bidding against yourself. It's like yeah. oh, how high do you want to go without there actually being a seller countering offering you? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting to to this buyer. I, I think that was the perfect time to buy. Remember, we did a couple of podcasts yeah. mm -hmm. in fall and and winter, and we're like, we think we're in a drop right now. Mm -hmm. You know, people listening to this need to understand there's a lag between what you're talking about in the field right now, right, and those closings coming through. So, so your client that closed in October, we're probably still not going to have all that data in the system to analyze and aggregate as a whole for another couple of months. Mm -hmm. So, it's possible that in the pipeline. Those dark days at the end of 2018 has not filtered through our pricing trends yet. So in that yeah. respect, I'm wondering, do we have another little slight dip in? Right. But the real-time market, what we see right now in those contracts mm -hmm. that will ultimately fuel the sales pipeline in six to nine months, it seems to me anecdotally that there's more traffic, buyers are starting to come out of the woodwork, somebody flipped a switch, they're right. more aggressive in making their bids. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and what I'm finding is the buyers who get what they want are more of them are represented than not. Right, yeah. And and the educated agents are getting their clients what they need. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I do a lot uptown. I happen to have just purchased uptown in Hamilton Heights. Um, there are some really awesome loan programs that I know about up there. So I'm actually educating my buyers in that direction. Yep. And it opens up a whole new opportunity for them when they learn about some of these interest rates that mm -hmm. I have access to through some of my relationships with these loan officers, um, where suddenly their affordability is so much more. Yeah. Because you know, you're looking at the difference between what would be a standard rate on a 30-year fixed is you know, in the mid-fours. Yep. You know, you can find it in certain banks in, in 3.6. And that's, and that's, I think, one thing that a lot of agents can bring to the table that a lot of consumers don't understand is that the mortgage world changes very rapidly. Yeah. And there are a lot of products that are coming on the market now that didn't exist a year, two years ago, especially with the, with the, with the elimination of the salt, salt, the, uh, salt deductions. Yeah. That they're now, they're now mortgage products that still let you capture some of that deduction 
uh, inside the loan, the way it works. And they're still in the experimental phase of it. I bet you they're still trying to figure they're out all the loopholes to come up with that perfect product. But if you're not, if you're not on yeah. the, the, the living, the bleeding edge of the yeah. mortgage world, you're not going to know these things. And that's one of the things an agent brings to the table. I think it's so important to have really good relationships with attorneys and mortgage professionals because they're going to help leverage out your business in a way that it's just invaluable. It really yeah. is. And so you want to know kind of what their products are yeah. so that you can kind of help the From client. From an agent perspective. 100%. Right. So, so let me yeah. ask, when you bought Uptown, did you use a mortgage broker that was assigned to the building or did you have no. your own mortgage broker? I mean, no, there were, well, it was a specific type of conversion. Okay. And so only certain lenders were really approved for the building. Yep. But um, the lender I ended up using had a special rate and it was really kind of great because then you know she got me some concessions towards closing costs and all that so what's what's completely bonkers is i'm paying as much as i would be in rent mm -hmm. for all in everything right. my my common tar charges my mortgage and my maintenance having conversations around that mm -hmm. with clients is very powerful because yeah. i'm living it yeah and that's actually it's changed my business was most of your business from did it start out rentals and then those rentals now turn to sellers and i'm sorry buyers and those buyers turn to sellers it it's yeah. really did start out mostly in rentals my very first listing like 5 years ago was a sale. Right. Um, I, I got lucky somebody in my database that was a friend That's how it took works. a chance on me and yeah. they, they let me do it. Um, I was like, sure, I, I'm going to pretend. Same thing with me. Total, it's total by chance. It was just a friend of a friend of a friend. friend, of a friend. And that's, it's a referral business. It's a relationship Very business. Much. And I'm not saying that we're advisors, right? But yeah. when it comes to the intricacies of Manhattan real estate and all the craziness that goes on in our markets and the reports that we have to deliver to our clients to determine price. Or, or market conditions and market trends, it's not like any other market. It's a little different. It is, it know? really is. And so, you know, naturally, I, just because of who I was and who I knew at the time when I started the business, I was doing 90% of my business was rentals. Right. And then I started doing a little bit of landlord work, mm -hmm. representation. Right. And so now it's sort of spilled into this business that's actually very interesting because. I'm always working with a handful of sellers, handful of buyers, mm -hmm. and then I have some tenant business on the side that I've started to leverage out a little bit. Mm -hmm. However, my landlords are getting my full attention as well right. because yeah. most of them are individual condo or co-op owners, right. actually, so I want to be there as a point person for them because it feels so much more it's, uh, I mean, risky it's, when it's, you're doing right. just one. But, you know? but each one of these is a completely separate conversation than the yeah. other. I mean, they tie together at certain points, but... And I'm wondering, this is, is the new agent this multifaceted agent that deals with all these different sectors? I mean, it used to be just buyers and renters. Buyers, renters, sellers. Well, I can tell you, for my business anyway, as a solo agent looking to continue to build out a team, mm -hmm. um, it has actually been invaluable to be able to have a very multifaceted business mm -hmm. because anything someone throws my way... Yeah. I can, Your team can handle it. I can handle it. Yeah, right. exactly. With exactly. experience, with, with confidence. With experience, yeah. I mean, uh, not every sales agent would be able to go, oh, I know that management company. Right. This may, may or may not be a good opportunity for you, or right. you want to look over here, not over there. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, let's talk about agents for a second. We talk about the market so much. I want to just yeah. focus on agents. Um, let's say you're brand new. You're brand new, or you're, you're a year in the business, a couple years in the business. You're yeah. trying to scrap business wherever you can. It's hard to get listings. That's why you start in the rental world, right? You start in right. the rental world, and you start in the buyer world because you know you need to get business. What would you tell that person? I mean, join a team. Well, um, it's so different now too, yeah. even from five years ago, because um, we're seeing what's happening with Street Easy and the fact that basically they're shutting down naked apartments. Mm -hmm. So the opportunities for agents to come in and play the open listing game. It, 
there's going to have to be another player in the game somehow, right. I so, think. So people understand, Naked Apartments had open listings. Open listings right. are rental listings that are not exclusive. Correct. So you can have one open listing that's that's 2A at, at this building, and Element, Corcoran, Compass, all these guys are advertising Everybody it. can advertise it. Right. Um, really what makes you stand out is how well you advertise it and what your reviews are. Right. But it can um, show multiple times. It can show 20 times. Right. So listing. you have a search result and you have 25 results. They're really only three listings, but they're just varying amongst different brokers, right? Is that correct? Yeah, or? and sometimes they would try to trick the system, and you know, I mean, right, it yeah. wasn't a perfect system by any means. Right. Um, and and StreetEasy's shutting that down. They're shutting it down. They bought it, and they, if I'm not mistaken, they're shutting it down. Right, and that's to promote traffic direct to StreetEasy, basically. Yes. The open what it doesn't allow, though, for is people who do open listing advertising, really. Mm -hmm. And that was the, in my opinion, Naked Apartments was the place that most people, at least when I was getting started, yeah. would lead generate for tenants. Right. Because what they could actually do is message tenants directly with certain features if mm -hmm. they had the right level of account. And you could actually reach out to them and say, hey, I know of these listings that might fit your criteria. It Was Naked Apartments like the old Craigslist? I mean, when I started, I mean, this is before your time. So when I started, my rental Craigslist. day, I, I had to go to Craigslist. Uh -huh. I had to go take pictures, right? So yeah. I'd be the first one to find apartments, take pictures, mm -hmm. get those pictures, put it on Craigslist, go away for the phone call. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Craigslist kind of went away and yeah. Naked Apartments sort of took its place, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. gotcha. um, I haven't, ugh, it, it's been years since I've advertised an open listing right. on Naked Apartments, what I would do is I would just have it so that when I had an exclusive, that it was one other place that I could tell my landlords, this is this is here. Right. Um, but what about like, I, I got no business at all. I'm, I'm an agent. I'm trying to You're, get some, you gotta get business. You gotta get business. You cannot so, learn in this business without experience. You, you absolutely need to partner with somebody Right. in my opinion. I don't know that it depends on the agent. The team thing may be the right thing or not. I felt very strongly that I wanted to cut my own path mm -hmm. and, and I didn't join a team. I had opportunities to, but I just didn't want to do that. Um, I think what you really need to do is, is educate your database. Even if it's only a hundred people, right. come up with who you know right. and just become the, the market expert. And also, if you can be hyper-local, that's even better. Right. Find a niche. Find, Find a, a niche. niche to be a little market expert. And you know what? I'm thinking back now. One of the biggest mistakes I have um, as a transactional broker, I mean, now on the tech side, is all of those people that I didn't do a deal with, all those people I did do a deal with, I, I really didn't follow up with those people as they should have over the course of 13, 14 years. That is so key. It is so, so key. And every, every client that I ever have done a deal with, even yeah. if it's the smallest rental transaction, yeah. I actually keep up with and I I And even if you didn't do a deal with them. I mean, these are like, yeah. let's just call them like, there's A buyers, B buyers, C buyers. There's right. some buyers that you spend time with months. Right. They don't buy from you, they disappear, you get pissed, right? You're like, God damn it, damn, I spent three months in here, I didn't get anything here, right? Yeah. And then the guy disappears, maybe he comes back, maybe he doesn't, maybe he buys on his own, which he has every right to do. But I mean, I should have been following up with Keeping those up, strings of people too. Yeah. yeah. But what do they say? The fortunes in the follow up? Yeah, right. Exactly. It, it really is. And, and it's interesting, having done so many deals on the buyer agent side yeah. and the listing agent side, it's very obvious to me the agents who are hip to it yeah. and the ones that aren't. <laughs> it's a referral business. It's a yeah. relationship business. You have a social circle, right? It's you standing in your social circle. A lot of people are not accessing their circle. It, it's so true. Yeah. And what is interesting too is watching how certain agents could comport themselves. Yeah. On the listing side, when I see a buyer's agent coming through, sometimes I'm like, oh great, this is gonna be great. I'm gonna love doing a deal with this person. Yeah. Their buyer is in good hands. They're lucky to have them. Mm -hmm. And then you have the opposite where 
I just had an agent, and, and the, love, the woman was lovely, she, but she wanted to fax me the offer. Right. And I, and I called her up, and I'm like, is there a reason that we're faxing this offer? And she goes, well, I don't know how to scan. And I was like, oh, well, how is it going to make you do this board page? Like, <laughs> like I just need to know It's only can... 650 pages. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, not, to her credit, she's lovely, and, I'm, and she seems knowledgeable. Yeah. It just, it made me pause. Yeah. Because I kind of went... Ooh, mm. how is this going to be to do a deal with this person on the other side? So you know what drove me crazy. You know what grinds my gears. We should have a new segment of this show. What grinds my gears, right? You know what grinds my gears what? is when it's like, all right, you know, I got a friend, a buddy of mine. He's an attorney at a medical device firm, and he's going to charge me like a thousand bucks. And I told him I would hook him up as a deal, and I'm like, no, you know, or or you know, my my father lives in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. He's got a family attorney. And you know he's five hundred dollars, pretty much. He's really cheap. He could beat anyone's price, but uh, he'll he'll get a hang of it. I mean, if you don't, if you're not familiar with co-op condo law, forget it. And in this game, time is a deal killer. So let's just be oh, clear yeah. here. I mean, if if you have an accepted offer today, these are buyers out there. If you have yeah. an accepted offer today, right now, congratulations. The deal is not done. No. Don't go celebrate. Get the deal sheet to the attorneys, right? And you're, you're, the buyer broker should get all the due diligence materials, right? Mm-hmm. The offering plan, the financials, the contract of sale, the board minutes. And that should take three to five business days to do everything, assuming no one's impeding that or delaying it, and then you're expected to sign. Yeah. And anybody that's not familiar with that, it's going to take a three to five business day process and turn it into a multi-week or a month process. And well, it's going to ruin your deal. Time kills deals. Like, yeah. it absolutely is true. And it's interesting. I, I had a deal last year where the seller was using his attorney who was also his tax attorney. And it's like his primary focus was taxes yeah. and, and doing all that and it was tax season yeah when we were trying to get this done yeah and so it was it just made it so hard and what was interesting was it was like he didn't know how to close out the deal and so we ended up having to I mean everything was done yeah. the board was approved it was all cash deal mm-hmm. it could not be easier yeah but the, the, the guy couldn't close it out for some reason yeah so I ended up calling up my seller and saying look I know you like this person I'm not negating that he's good at what he does right you have to fire him. And yeah. we did. We ended up closing out with a different attorney. Oh, that's that's interesting. Yeah. And, and it was quick and it was fast and it was done the right way. I mean, at the end of the day, it yeah. was a service to your client, even though there was maybe, you know, some bumps right. along the way. Because, I mean, you don't want to be buying this stuff unless the competent guy is reviewing these documents. Well, <laughs> yeah. And for the seller, I mean, he is paying maintenance on something he's not living in. Right. And I'm kind of going, you know, with each passing day, it's costing you money. Right. And I, I get that, you know, you have a relationship with this person, but it's to your best interest to preserve that. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, listen, at the end of the day, I, I like to be frank with, a lot of real estate agents are scared to say the hard things to their clients. Right. Just go in there and say it. Rip it off 100%. like a bandit. Go in there confident, go in there strong. This is what you need to know. And you know what? If you want to make yeah. a mistake, go make a mistake. But well, I'm advising you. At least try not to make a mistake on the attorney because yeah. I, I was talking to a seller yesterday, actually, um, and she's trying to figure out who she's going to use as an attorney. And she was asking me generally what they cost. And I think she was just surprised because it's been a long time since she purchased a property um, in terms of what it was going to cost. And I said, look, you know, you could save maybe $500, maybe $800 by hiring somebody else who says that they do real estate and and maybe they do. But this is the most important transaction you're going to do in the next probably decade of your life. So 
um, don't cheap it out. Don't cheap it. out on it because yeah. it could really mess you up. I mean, I think it's generally like a flat fee, somewhere between twenty five hundred and thirty five hundred these days. Um, but the problem is, is that that's not really a sustainable business for big firms that focus on this. So I think what they get in the habit of doing, if you're buying a three, four, five million dollar property, it might be four thousand, it might be forty five hundred, it might be scalable to the they price sca- here. Yeah, I actually um, came across an attorney who does that. And I mean, it's not it's not uncommon, and that's how they make the the economies of scale work. And that specific model is that if you're buying a little bit more, this, that's how I make it all work. Um, but at the end of the day, you're 100% right. Yeah. yeah. I just want to go back and touch on, we, we talked about a few things. Um, you know, we talked about the different conversations for buyers, sellers, and renters. Mm-hmm. And you also talked about keeping in touch with some of your past clients. And I'm just curious, yeah. how, do you, how do you manage that when you have clients crossing all the different spectrums? Yeah. Do you have different conversations for each one? Or is it sort of just, hey, general market pulse kind of stuff? Like what? I do tricks both. of the trade. I'd love to know how you, how you do it. Absolutely. So I try to have different um, pieces. And I send out pretty much everything to everyone because you never know who they're going to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's interesting. Like I'll send out a piece on um, like an email blast on all the listings that I have right now. Um, and then I'll do a newsletter in terms of the market pulse and, you know, some interesting tips or tricks about this yeah. or that. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to, to bring people in and, and, pique their interest with something. Um, so to answer your question, it's it's not completely targeted, but it's I try to hit enough points that it will interest them on something, mm-hmm. you, know? Yeah. you know? so It's a lot of it's trial and error. I mean, you'll yeah. see what hits, you see what doesn't hit, you focus on that kind of areas, you know? And yeah. you, is it all digital? Or do you use some postcards? Do you do some well, mailers in the most mix? of what I do is, is email blasts uh-huh. and then actually old-fashioned phone calls to follow okay. up because... Um, we do the bold program here where you're doing 100 contacts a week for, for seven weeks. Right. I've done it six times. It's made my business thrive. All right, so this, just point that out for everybody here. Getting that context da- that contacts database, getting that growing, getting that rising on a weekly, monthly level, you got to incorporate that into your business. You that, have that is, to. That's like a yeah. big part of your plan. You really, really have to. And, it's, and we did the math on this. Um, I was figuring, I, I go, if you can actually have at least three high-level contacts a day, mm-hmm. Aside from just lead generation, three high-level conversations with your database, right? Where you're calling them with an item of value, yeah. Your business will explode. I, I always looked at that kind of stuff. There's people that will do it, and there's people that get it, and there's just some that just don't. And this is not their style. It's not their game. Maybe they're old-fashioned. I, I don't know. But I mean, there's a correlation between doing that kind of stuff, yeah, or incorporating it somehow into your team and having someone's responsibility be that kind of stuff, yeah, and growing your business exponentially. Also, I do events. Yeah. Events around, mm-hmm. and and that actually engages for, the database. For like first-time buyers, first-time sellers. Not just first-time buyers and sellers. I'll do client appreciation events. Right. I'll All for do, past clients. Yeah, I'll do um, seminars around something regarding the purchase process mm-hmm. or something regarding getting your property ready right. to mm-hmm. sell. Um, there's a lot of opportunity right. and different conversations that you can have. So. And I partnered with you know local businesses too, uh, which actually is really engaging and interesting and fun. Sometimes they sponsor it. Well, get some attorneys, do. get some lenders, yeah. they'll sponsor these Oh, things. yeah. No, I mean... But we, I would also say that I think you have so, sort of an unfair advantage because you have a theatrical background and you're, you, you come across as someone with a, with a great confidence and, and ability to speak in front of people. And I'm curious... It helps. What would you say to someone who is just happy living under a rock but just happens to be a great real estate agent at the same time? Challenge yourself. If you're not challenging yourself, at least take a, take a class on... Um, speech and and or take an improv class like do something that's going to get you out of your comfort zone because it's only going to help you talk to clients in a more efficient manner yeah um and and the thing is is when you pick up the phone if people feel like you're with them 
from the beginning, yeah. it actually changes the conversation. It's a relationship business. It's yeah. a relationship business. It works with data. It works on the side with just follow-ups and CRMs and all that stuff. It helps. Because if you have the data yeah. and then you have a personal touch around it too, yeah. people feel like it's it's a very um, it's a multi-pronged attack, I guess, yeah. in, in a way. If you're an agent doing it that way, because they're well, you're it's giving tailored them to what they what to what they're interested in. I mean, if I'm if I'm an owner in Yorkville and I got a two-bedroom, two bath, I mean, I really don't care about the Tribeca market or the condo market or anything else. But if I'm someone else, you know. Uh, uh, around the area, I'm going to be interested in all the sales, my building, that kind of stuff. So if you tailor it to be hyper you want to, yeah, and it's yeah. interesting because not everybody wants all the information. Yeah. Like you kind of have to learn how to mirror and match yeah. the client and how they want to get the information and yeah. how much yeah. they can even take in. Like I had a client who wanted everything, like every yeah. little data point. She was very um, insistent on having, uh, you know, everything that she could make the right decision, right? right? Which that's great. If that's what you need, I'll get it to you. Yeah. Then I have people who I'll send them a showing log uh, with all of the people who came through an open house. Yeah. They'll never open it once. Right. They don't want to know. Give me the bullet points. Yeah. Did, did, did people come? Yeah. Great. But that's our job. Our job <laughs> is to craft, to, to craft our advisory services based on the personality of the person and what their right. needs are, what their wants are. And if yeah. they want it, it's there. And if they don't, that's fine too. Yeah. You know? um, but making it accessible and making it as much in real time as you can, using technology to your advantage, yeah. but not using it as an excuse. To have a conversation with the right. client, to yeah. expedite the transaction. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. I think a lot of times people rely too heavily on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and they're like, oh, look at how many people opened my email. Yeah. And they leave it at that. Yeah. yeah. And my, my, the last question I had is before we started, you mentioned you, you bought a new conversion up at Hamilton Heights. Mm -hmm. And you've already had some buyer traffic come through because of that. Yeah. And I'm just curious, what do those conversations look like? Are you more of an evangelist for the building or do they seek you out or are you seeking the buyers out? A little How bit of both, actually. Um, so it just kind of happens naturally because I'm having these conversations around my, my own situation with my database. Mm -hmm. And people start to go, oh, that's interesting. What is that about? And then I start to explain, you know, oh, if you buy one bedroom in this building, because the interest rates that I was able to take advantage of, right. you would be paying about the same that you'd be paying in rent for something just as nice. Right. And then you can get the tax incentives and you, you own something and you're, you know, right. you're a property owner in New York. I mean, how huge is that? You got to just paint the vision. Yeah. So, but I've also, I've been a bit of an evangelist too. Yeah. I've, I've actually run into people on the street who I could like see with their show sheets and I'm like, hey, what are you looking at? And that's just a natural broker. See, I, think you know that, well, I think that's great versus say, <laughs> versus yeah. say lurking at someone's open house. You know, oh they, God, you know. no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no. <laughs> no. There, there are those that exist out there. Yes, yeah. there are. That's, <laughs> you know who you are. Yeah, not saying to do that, um, but you know, getting an opportunity to talk to people who might be interested, talking to mm -hmm. local businesses. Yeah. That's the thing is if you can partner with some local businesses and become sort of the neighborhood expert, yeah. that's what I'm building out right now. And that's how that's how everything the word of mouth spreads, right? I mean, the businesses they talk to people, the real estate's a good conversation. Someone brings up real estate, hey, have you seen this building over here and all this kind of stuff? Well, and especially it spreads, there are people you know? who are very entrepreneurial uptown right now. Yeah. Um, you'll see there's a lot of new development uptown and unlike new development downtown which tends to have a lot of inventory that's sort of shadow inventory mm -hmm. uh you know it seems that things are, are still moving along up there right so um i just previewed uh a listing on pine that interestingly it looks over the george washington bridge right. i was with my buyer and they actually didn't mind it that much because of how the architect designed the all the open spaces in the building mm -hmm. have it's like opaque mm -hmm. actually so that you don't see it but you can see the sky right 
I was like, oh, that's smart. And they did triple pane windows, right. too. So there's some interesting things happening uptown. That's great. Yeah, it's a yeah. Cool I love it. This has been awesome. Thank you so much, Laura Cook with Keller Williams. Yes, thank you so thank much you for guys. joining us. It's my pleasure. Hey, this is Noah and John. Yes. Talking Manhattan from Urban Digs, and we'll see you next time.